Hello, everybody. It's your old pal, Justin Robert Young. Quick reminder. So here's the deal. We got this interview and it's up right now in your podcast feed. Might have already listened to it, but if you didn't, I'd very much recommend it. It is our preview of the Iowa State Fair. If the mantra of this show is less bull bleep, more horse bleep, then you absolutely know that the Iowa State Fair is something that I'm going to enjoy. Anytime that perfectly quaffed on-message politicians have to eat corn dogs and look at butter sculptures on camera is something that I very, 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 very much have interest in. So go ahead and check that out. It's a Des Moines City Council person who also runs a booth. Her booth's called Appalicious. I have apple nachos. And what an award. Go ahead and check that out. It is currently in the podcast feed. And head on over to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Justin Robert Young. There, you'll see a little video I made. This isn't repurposed content. This isn't something that I'm going to also put in the podcast. This is a, a exclusive to YouTube video about something that fascinated me in my research about uh, Ross Perot after he died, and that was a poll that showed that he was leading that race, something that I really didn't know and I don't think really gets a lot of play. So I talked about uh, the poll, uh, the facts of that race, the state of that race, why uh, uh, almost immediately Perot's campaign uh, went into the toilet and the ramifications around it. Go ahead and check it out. That is, uh, actually, you want to know what? You can get it on my website, politicspoliticspolitics.com. But it's on my YouTube, and you can subscribe to the YouTube, too. All right. Uh, one more thing. Uh, support the show. Go ahead on over to takepoliticsseriously.com. Takepoliticsseriously.com. That's where you go to make sure that you kick in. $3 Club has never been healthier. I think we need two more, and we are up over a, a weekly financial milestone, which is really cool. So, enough talking about how we support the show. What do you say we just do with that damn thing? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Politics, Politics, Politics program. My name is Justin Robert Young. As always, we got a lot to talk about, but obviously we're going to start in the obvious place, and that is the fact that we, again, had a weekend of tragedy. I said this on the PX3 Extra, but I think it bears repeating that over the last two weeks, we had mass shootings at a family-friendly festival at a Walmart where people, parents were going back to school shopping for their kids and a bunch of folks that were closing out a bar at last call on a late summer night. These are horrifying. And while I like to focus on the X's and O's of campaigning and politics and, and all that, I, I do think that it bears mentioning because my heart goes out to everybody. 
who has suffered from that. And I do believe that it will have political ramifications. And we're going to talk about that in this first segment. But before we get to it, before we get to the ins and outs and what's likely to happen and what might happen, why this uh, particular wave is different than other gun control waves. Let me just state something that I think will be understood by everybody, by all political stripes. And that is the events where these took, these horrifying events took place in are the fabric of America. Looking up at your mother or father while you're at a, a big local fair, looking over at your mom or dad as they pick out your favorite backpack that you can think about going to school with, looking over at your friend as you make the decision to have that one more round that's definitely going to have you guys close out the bar. These are the rituals that we as Americans go through. They are things that bind us. They are things that we can all relate to, or at least many of us. An attack on those is despicable and vile. So with that being said, let's talk about the political ramifications of this. I do believe that this is a different situation for a couple reasons, four of them to be exact. Here's the first. Now, I know that this is something I've said before, and I've had relative success with it bearing out in terms of any kind of fruit, but I will say again that relative to his peers, Donald Trump is a very liberal Republican president, and more specifically, at least to this topic, he is less beholden to the traditional gatekeepers of Republican power because he didn't really have any care about the Republican Party, except that's probably a topic that came up a lot on the golf course before. And he doesn't seem to have any real interest afterward, except for he's still probably going to be having rallies until the day he dies. And he'll enjoy endorsing people. But I suspect that we have not seen the last time that Donald Trump has out and out criticized the Republican Party. Functionally, what does that mean? It means he can criticize big donors like the Kochs, which he has. It means that he can pick and choose which special interest groups he deals with. Because, again, he has not relied on their money in campaigns before, holds no loyalty to them, and can decide exactly how valuable they are compared to how much of his potential voter base they speak to. He has been very friendly to the NRA, but he has had a complicated relationship on guns. This is a line from a book he wrote in 2000, The America We Deserve. He said that the party, that the Democratic Party's desire to confiscate guns is a dumb idea and that the Republicans refuse even limited restrictions, noting that they walk the NRA line. He said, I generally oppose gun control, but I support the ban on assault weapons, and I also support a slightly longer waiting period to purchase a gun. With today's internet technology, we should be able to tell within 72 hours if a, a potential gun owner has a record. This was when he was flirting with the idea of running for the Reform Party, but this is a presidential platform. Now, he since, you know, came out a little bit uh, harder on gun control, he became more of a solidified Republican and 
2015's Crippled America, saying opponents of gun rights often use a lot of scary descriptive phrases when proposing legislative actions against types of weapons, and that he is not for background checks because they only add more government to the situation. Whether or not he believes in the NRA as an organization, he is certainly not somebody that needs to take their marching orders. And we're going to get to where the NRA is in a second. But let's understand this. Donald Trump can take a hit from the NRA. Because the NRA is certainly not going to endorse his opponent nor do they believe that they are benefited by anybody from the current 2020 Democratic crop coming out of there. If Donald Trump feels moved to act on gun control, I believe he can withstand the political hit from the NRA. And it is in the NRA's interest to shape whatever comes out of that as best they can instead of lighting the president of the United States on fire, which I do believe they would with another president. Specifically, if he were a lame duck, but he's not a lame duck. He's running for re-election, which is something in his favor. Here's the second thing that's changed. Number one, the NRA is in shambles right now. Let's just go ahead and read the first two paragraphs of a CBS News article. A silent protest outside the National Rifle Association's Virginia headquarters capped a summer of turmoil within... First, leaked documents showed that the group's longtime leader, Wayne LaPierre, may have misused member dues, spending nearly $300,000 on designer clothes over 10 years and charging the NRA for luxury travel to the Bahamas, Budapest, and Italy. Then, cost and controversy led the group to shutter NRA TV. NRA President Oliver North left, so did top lobbyist Chris Cox, as LaPierre ex- uh, accused them of extortion. And just last week, three board members resigned claiming that they were stripped of committee assignments as they sought information about the alleged impropriety. And that's before we even get to the idea that the group's tax-exempt status is being investigated by both New York and the D.C. Attorney General. This is not a time of strength for the NRA. This is not a time of strength for Wayne LaPierre. If Wayne LaPierre goes head-to-head against Donald Trump, there is a high likelihood that he will lose, not only in the court of public opinion because he really doesn't have any recourse other than to tarnish the reputation of the president. And right now, even in the world of pro-gun control advocates, these are the most mushy times because, you know, you have dead kids on the newspaper, you know, gun control is is uh, something that flourishes during these moments. And when you get beyond them, then you get to the more philosophical idea of, of protecting your Second Amendment rights. But the NRA is not strong, and that matters. Number three, it looks like the Senate specifically might be ready to move on something. Here is a story from this morning from the Los Angeles Times. It's an AP story. Despite frequent mass shootings, Congress has proved to be unable to pass substantial gun violence legislation largely because of resistance from Republicans. But a bipartisan proposal by Lindsey Graham Richard, and Richard Blumenthal is gaining momentum following the weekend mass shootings in Texas and Ohio that left 31 people dead. The emerging plan would create a federal grant program encouraging states to adopt red flag laws to take guns away from people believed to be dangerous to themselves or others. 
A similar bill never came up for a vote in the GOP-controlled Senate last year, but both parties express hope that this year will be different. President Trump has signaled support for the plan. We must make sure that those judged to pose a grave risk to public safety do not have access to firearms, and if they do, those firearms can be taken through rapid due process. This was Trump from the White House on Monday. Which brings up something else. Will Democrats support something that Donald Trump is crowing about as a win? You can, you can hear it echoing from the Trump rally right now that he did more on criminal justice reform and gun violence in one term than Obama did in two. It is my steadfast belief that most Democrats in Congress would sooner do a full swanton bomb off the platform into an oncoming metro train before they give a win to Donald Trump with an election in sight. So that brings us to number four. Where do the Democrats set the goalposts? Obviously, there is going to be a political will on the left to do more about guns than there will be on the Republican side. The fact that there is any movement here on the Republican side is certainly noteworthy. But Democrats don't want to give Republicans a win. They don't want to make it seem that, uh, you know, paying states to implement red flag laws is enough. They want to push for more. They want to bring back the assault weapons ban. They want to uh, have, have more possibly even Australia-style gun buyback kind of stuff. And you've seen the 2020 candidates say as such. But at the same time, you have to balance what is an inch of progress worth versus punishing somebody for not going a mile. Right now, we haven't really seen a lot of those machinations from the Democrats, but we will. This level of criticism will likely come from the 2020 Democrats, many of whom happen to be senators. Senators who will have key votes. This is going to be something to watch. And no matter where on the aisle you are, no matter how 2A you are, no matter how uh, 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 do something on gun control you are. This is the way the sausage gets made. And all these things need to be considered if anything is going to happen. Politics! I would like to remind you that we have a free political newsletter at freepoliticalnewsletter.com. You can go ahead and get it by going to freepoliticalnewsletter.com and signing up. We're into the 1950s. We're into the 1950s. I'm very excited we are coming up on the election of Dwight D. Eisenhower. The, if two people sign up while I am talking about this, then, then we'll already be there. We'll be into the Eisenhower administration. We are on the road to modernity. If we can get to 2019 subscribers, I'll be very happy because that will be the cusp of our vast voyage into the future. Five stories a day, five days a week, mostly gifts, sometimes hot takes. It's the free political newsletter. Politics! Oh. Oh, we're here, baby. Oh, we're here. It's time to take some souls. 
we have won campaign that has returned to the ash from which it came. Mike Gravel, or Gravel, to be honest, I never settled on exactly how to pronounce it, has folded his presidential campaign and endorsed Bernie Sanders. But there is one more, because Gravel never made it onto the stage. We've got some hints that there is one of the debate candidates that is now considering dropping out. He might be flirting with The Undertaker. John Hickenlooper seems to be hinting that he will be running for Senate instead of president. Hmm. Who will be next? Well, I'll tell you. You guys know that I have been watching like an eagle the the qualifications for the third and fourth debates. This is something that I very much believe is the hidden story. Nobody is talking about this enough, which is why I want to bring it to you, because the debates simply matter more this time around. They are too well watched. They are too well covered. They create too much of a narrative. It is impossible to not to succeed when you are not on them. The stench of failure is so overpowering that the only question anyone's going to ask is, why don't you just drop out? And there are a few people that are being asked that question right now. But before we get to there, let's just understand who will who we will see no matter what in the third and fourth debates. Third one's coming up in Houston in September. Biden, Buttigieg, Harris, Sanders, Warren, Booker, O'Rourke, Klobuchar locks they've already polled well enough they've already collected enough individual donors the threshold for this set of debates is 130,000 individual donors that's the controversial one because traditionally that has not been a thing that you had to be good at to run for president or be on the debate stage both really this is new right but it's the way that they're trying to separate the wheat from the chaff. Did I say shaft? Chaff. Chaff? Chaff. Here are those that are on the bubble. So when I, if you want to watch these, if you want to watch the polls, you got to watch these guys like a hawk. Castro, Yang, Tulsi Gabbard. Castro and Yang only need one more qualifying poll that shows them over 2%. Gabbard needs three. So you better hope that she made uh, she made some kind of impression during that Detroit debate where she dusted it up with Kamala Harris because she needs three qualifying polls before the deadline in September. Now, remember, this is what got Yang in trouble. You can only take one qualifying poll from each polling firm. Yang looked down at all the polls that had him over 2% and he counted four of them. So he went on television and said, congratulations to me. I qualified for the debates. The DNC hit him with a not so fast. Two of those polls came from NBC News and they were national polls. So we don't want you to qualify for these debates. 
just for whatever reason, NBC News is oversampling support for you. You need to have four different polls or if it's from the same source, one can be national and one can be local because they are also. They are also counting polls from Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina and Nevada. So. Yang and Castro need one more, one more 2% poll from one of the following official pollsters, the AP, ABC News, CBS News, CNN, the Des Moines Register, Fox News, Monmouth University, NBC, the New York Times, NPR, Quinnipiac, or the University of New Hampshire, USA Today, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, and Winthrop University. If one of those guys comes out with a poll, either in those early states or nationally, that is over 2% for Castro or Yang, they're in the debates. Likely? Possible? Sure. Tulsi needs three of them. That's going to be a little bit more of a stretch. But they've done the heavy lifting of getting enough individual donors. That's very, very crucial. Because here are the names that are flirting with the campaign undertaker. Tom Steyer, Hickenlooper, Bennett, Bullock, de Blasio, Delaney, Gillibrand, Inslee, Messam, Moulton, Ryan, Sestak, Williamson. Now, some of these guys are a little bit closer than others. So I'll give you kind of the next tier down from our bubble candidates. These are guys that are close on individual donors, but still need the qualifying polls. Jay Inslee has around 110,000 individual donors, means he needs 20,000 more. Kirsten Gillibrand has 100,000. Marion Williamson has 112,000. But they have zero qualifying polls. They need four of them before September. The rest of these guys are absolutely toast. Like Hickenlooper has 13,000 donors. Bennett has 28. Bullock has 17. De Blasio, who, by the way, is the mayor of a city with 8 million people. 8 million people. You would think that if you were doing a good job in a city with 8 million people, getting 130,000 of them to give you one single dollar would not be challenging. And yet he is pulling up the rear with 7,000 individual donors. Oh my God, what a spectacular waste of time Bill de Blasio is. Those guys are all toast. But then there's the hidden story behind the hidden story. Folks, this is the, the little secret room inside the speakeasy. A reminder that the way that a lot of these folks are getting individual donors is very, very high volume, high ad price digital marketing. I heard a rumor that some of these candidates are spending up to $70 per customer acquisition, meaning they're spending $70 to get as low as $1 back into their campaign. This is unsustainable churn. So like we said a few weeks ago, is it worth it? 
Is it worth it to cripple your campaign, to put yourself in a position where you cannot compete going forward if it means making it to Iowa? Is it worth firing your staff if it means having a staff at all? That's the position that these candidates are in. And I think that we're going to see, as soon as we see a big culling here, we're going to see a lot of criticism about this individual donor thing. I mean, if they got that pissed about the hand-raising questions during the debate, come on. We already saw a little bit of it in that Eric Swalwell interview with 538. There's going to be a lot more of it. And I got a feeling that Kirsten Gillibrand is going to be the one to drop the hammer. Hey, it's totally clear that the audio obviously hasn't shifted as if I used to be in my studio when I first started recording this. And now I am in a hotel room in Las Vegas. Wrong! Oh, well, if that's the case, then it must be time for the... Okay, for real. Uh, here's what happened. I-, I forgot that I had a flight to Vegas. Shoot. That's an actual... I'm telling you this right now. I forgot I had a flight to Vegas today, so I recorded half of this right before my flight so I could make sure that I got as much done before I had to record on the mobile rig. So, uh, sorry for the change, but let's go ahead and keep going with the podcast. Number one, Elizabeth Warren is definitely leaving Nevada up to chance. Wrong! Look at that. Vegas opinions. That is uh, certainly not the case. According to a new Politico article, Warren has built a monster talking all about how important the Nevada caucus is going to be in the primary season. This was, again, very, very crucial in the 2016 primary. And remember, the man to watch in Nevada is Harry Reid. And more specifically, if you really want to read the tea leaves, it's to see if anybody gets the culinary union endorsement during the Nevada caucus. Uh, Bernie Sanders was heavily rumored to get it. Apparently people really wanted Bernie Sanders to get it. And yet Harry Reid influences Harry Reidness and made sure that there was no endorsement, therefore denying Bernie that endorsement. But as for uh, uh, this version, the 2020 version, Elizabeth Warren has a gigantic campaign, said Laura Martin to Politico, an executive director of the Social Justice Progressive Leadership Alliance of Nevada. There are counties all over the rural areas where some campaigns are just doing tour, but she has staff there. And that was a strategy that Obama had in 2008 when he won Nevada. Among 17 Democratic strategists, activists, and experts interviewed by Politico for this story, Warren's campaign was mentioned the most often as the most impressive of the field, followed by Kamala Harris. Now, why does this matter? Because there's a high, well, not a high likelihood, but there is a likelihood, especially for Harris, that Nevada could be a must win. You know, the the point for Kamala Harris is to make sure that she is still viable by the time she gets to California, where obviously obviously she is a sitting senator. Warren's going to have a puncher's chance in Iowa, 
But again, I, I New Hampshire, I think, is where she's going to make sure that she needs to push forward. Because New Hampshire is going to be a real cluster. You got three very, very, very well-known politicians that are in and around the New Hampshire area between Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren. South Carolina is a different story. I don't think that's a natural fit for either Kamala Harris or Elizabeth Warren. But once we get out to Nevada, that's the end of the beginning. You know, that is that is when things are going to start thinning out in a major way. If you haven't already won by that point, then we've got a real, real, real problem here. Hey, the FX network cares about affecting the 2020 election. Wrong! <laughs> they don't. And whether or not you think that they should is a different question. But they announced yesterday that they are going to be airing a... American Crime Story miniseries based on the Clinton impeachment saga, and it will be executive produced by Monica Lewinsky herself. Uh, The lady from uh, Booksmart is going to play Monica. Sarah Paulson, who was in the previous American Crime Story about O.J. Simpson, she played... Uh, Marsha, I can't remember her last name, the prosecutor, Marsha, the prosecutor, who was not able to convict O.J. Simpson. She will play Linda Tripp, which, by the way, is the biggest casting glow up <laughs> like Sarah Paulson, baby. Like she's never been known for her. Like she's never been like the ingenue. She's not the sex pot per se. But man, I mean, for Linda Tripp, I'm just saying I'm just saying. Hey, Kamala Harris's debate lead is holding. Wrong! Mm, not so much. Not so much. Uh, uh, she has been in quite a slump. In fact, uh, she was at a high of 20% after the Miami debate. And now, Quinnipiac has her at only 7%. 7%! Which is kind of where she came. I think she's going to be net up from from where she was. But look, she stung Biden, but then people stopped paying attention, and eventually the uh, uh, you know the, the basics of the race, the the cornerstones of the race, wound up playing back out. There are no other electable moderates right now. You know there are other moderates. And we can have our questions about who's electable, but Kamala Harris is going to be better off defining a lane as the law and order liberal. Now, whether or not that translates to moderates, and we do know for a fact that she is underwater with black voters, remains to be seen. Also, by the way, another element of that, uh, Joe Biden has totally rebounded. In his polls, he went to a low of 22%, and now he's back up to the low 30s where he was before Kamala Harris pantsed him in Miami. Hey, Brexit's going to deal a massive blow to US UK relations. Wrong! I mean, anyone following this probably knows that that was an absolute lie, but. Uh, yeah, this is going to be a big boon for the United States and the United Kingdom. They previously, obviously, the United States has a deal with the European Union for trade, and we are now going to have one with the UK. 
That is that is just going to be a thing that happens, and boy, are we excited about it. At least Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, he is quoted as saying that the U.S. will be ready with pen in hand to sign post-Brexit trade deal. However, Brexit ultimately shakes out, will be at the doorstep. Now, obviously, Boris Johnson and Donald Trump cut, for, cut from a lot of the same cloth. They are similarly dumpy men with odd hairstyles. But they're also very nationalist and they are very much in a position where they want to help each other. They have ascended to the world stage and I think both of them are very, very, very much uh, uh, keyed into the idea that the special relationship between the United States and the United Kingdom should indeed continue. Do you want to know what else can continue? A tradition on this podcast as big and important as the state of Texas. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, get ready because it is time for the Texas primary poll from DMN Emerson, taken from August 1st to August 3rd. Let's go ahead and get started. Stepping up first to the stage, he is the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, with 7% of the poll. It is Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Coming up next. She is your senator from Massachusetts with 14% of the vote. It is Elizabeth Warren. 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 In third place, 16% of respondents said that their favorite was the senator from Vermont, Bernie Sanders. In second Man, we're going to have a few questions about this guy a little bit later. I got to give a little shine. I poop on him a lot on this show. But he's the favorite son right now. In second place with 19% of respondents. Beto And in first place with 28% of respondents. Yo! That is Buddha Judge 7, Warren 14, Sanders 16, O'Rourke 19, and Big Joe Biden at 28. A Texas primary poll conducted by DMN Emerson. Let's go ahead and get to Bud your email. 
emails, you can always email the show, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Again, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Clay writes, I agree that we won't hear anything else from the candidates about the Mueller report by name or about obstruction by Trump. We Dems sunk our own battleship there. However, I do think that as the primary field narrows, and especially when we get into the election, we'll hear a lot more about election interference and protecting and reforming our democracy. That shit still plays, and the right candidate can make it appeal enough to Trump-leaning independents to make them stay home or even flip. Well, I I was with you right up until you said that it was going to make people vote different. I do think the Democrats are going to talk about it. I don't know how much people really care about it. In fact, I think the fact that we've spent three years on it has kind of burnt it out in terms of mainstream politics. I think you're kind of preaching to the choir on it. Aside from the fact that it's like if we're really talking about election interference, then you always get the kind of back and forth of like, well, how much is a bunch of Russians buying Facebook ads compared to what many conservatives look at as a wholesale ownage of the mainstream media? And for people that don't follow those lines of thought, then they just don't care. It's just that simple. Sean writes, will we see a rise in Beto since the shooting in El Paso was in his old district? New York Times Daily was interesting with a now politics reporter having to jump back into mass shooting coverage. These are the kinds of things that the Scottish teens in the UK betting markets take the long odds on to affect the outcome of an election. It will make the next round of debates interesting if nothing else happens between now and then. Sean, I disagree. I don't think that this will be as big of a thing by the time that the next uh, debates roll around. It'll, it might be a question, but hell, the Gilroy Garlic shooting happened days before the Detroit debates, and we didn't really hear much about in gun control during those. I, I think in one debate it wasn't even mentioned. So I, I don't know how much this is going to play by the time that the next debates roll around in late September. As for Beto, look, he's in a position where he, he he he's he's a bit between a rock and a hard place. Because yes, he's getting a lot of media attention right now, and I think he's handling it very capably. I, I've I've never thought that uh, a Beto has had a hard time wearing his heart on his sleeve. If anything, I think his problem is more the opposite. He can't focus that and make it politically viable as much as some of the other candidates that are that are in the race right now can he, that's why he tends to come off as like stammery and rudderless uh, in a way when Kamala Harris focuses her emotion and passion, she can come off as persuasive or uh, a fighter or something like that. Here's the problem for Beto. And look, only one person right here that's that, that is talking. Cause there's only one mic told you that I thought that Beto should double down on gun control during the Detroit debate, I said that that would that that should have been a thing that he that he did, even though it made little sense. He wound up doing the opposite, which is saying that vote for me. I'm more electable. Again, we get back into this electable moderate kind of thing. Is Beto O'Rourke electable? I don't know. He is a big floppy cloth doll of a human. He ticks all the boxes in terms of he's not going to offend anybody with his political positions. But he said during the debate, vote for me, I can flip Texas. 
Now, that's a dubious claim. It is certainly a moonshot. Whether or not it's true remains to be seen. But if he had gone out and said, hey, look, we had a shooting in Gilroy, and then there was a shooting in his home district, then he would have had some equity on the issue. He doesn't really have equity on gun control because if you're going to run as electable in Texas, then you can't really be hardcore gun control because even liberals in Texas are more 2A than the national Democratic average. So does this affect the race? You know, look, if gun control stuff is passed or it it continues to become a political issue, as in let's debate the specifics of a thing that's going to happen, maybe. Otherwise, I don't know how much this realistically helps Beto. And finally, there's just one thing that I have to bring up with you guys. And that is that the great D8UV, somebody who has emailed the show often, sent me an email and said, hey, what political figure should I roll a D&D character for? Or create a D&D character? I guess roll means that you're randomly assigning this kind of stuff. If I were to create, create a D&D character that you could plug into your own game of a political figure, who should I do? And I told him Ron Paul. And so here are the stats. Medium humanoid, lawful neutral, armor class 13, chain shirt, hit points 9, uh, uh, 2d8, speed 30 feet. We have 13 strength, 10 dexterity, uh, uh, 10, man, I'm going to show how much of a noob I am at D&D, 10 con, 12 int, uh, 14 wisdom, and 15 charisma. God, I'm going to get murdered for that. I'm going to leave it in. Fuck it. Saving throws, uh, uh, wisdom plus four, charisma plus four, skills, athletics plus three, medicine plus four, uh, persuasion plus four, senses, passive perception, 12, language is common, and challenge, one-fourth, 50 XP. The gold standard when traveling, Ron carries his wealth using golden coins that he's minted himself. Even if I'm an embarrassment in terms of understanding my role-playing games, at least I have the coolest listeners on the planet. All right, that'll wrap it up for our episode this week. A reminder, you can support this show at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. In fact, since I recorded the plug earlier today, we've had a couple of new patrons. I think we need like one more to, to, to put us over our, our financial milestone, which is rad. So if you want to go, then go ahead on over there. Of course, the $3 club gets you a bonus podcast on Monday and a bonus podcast on Friday. You can email the show, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Music has been provided by Valesco and Trap Killers, and you can follow me at Justin R. Young everywhere. Download download archived, uh, download archived episodes of this show at bonerwars.com. Ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to a close. A reminder that politics has three faces. And I saw one show that talked about politics, another show that talked about politics, and still one more that talked about politics. But this right here, whether it be in California or Nevada, is the only show that talks about
Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>